I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the MVP show. Perhaps there's no one in the community who doesn't know our guest today. He is the man behind Serum Tip of the Day, the co-founder of Serum Audio. I'm very happy to welcome today's 12, 13, 14, 15 time MVP, Joe Lindstrom. Of course, full show notes can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 155. Now, let's get on with the show. Hey, Joel, welcome to the MVP show. Hey, Mark, good to be here. I, I think we've done podcasting kind of ancillary together for a long time, but we haven't really been on a podcast together except for maybe once or twice. So, so this is good. And this is also unique to me because I'm not usually the guest. So, um, so this is a good experience. I've come to I've come to realize that maybe the smart people in the community are people like Matt Whitteman that don't make their own podcast. They just guest on everybody's podcast because they get the contribution, you know. <laughs> so true, so true. But like, I've got to attribute me being uh, a podcaster really uh, to you. You're the one that inspired me and and got me started on the CRM Audio Network. And so, yeah, thank you for this journey. I wouldn't have started if you hadn't inspired. Well, I don't take credit for for starting uh, CRM podcasts. Uh, that was really uh, what, what's his name, Marcus with uh, CRM Rocks, and uh, he he was doing it for a year or two before I started it. And we have to give credit to David Yak for being the first CRM podcaster because there's an episode of .NET Rocks from early two thousands right when CRM version three came out where he went on the .NET podcast. I discovered this in Google podcast searching for CRM and uh, found that that I believe is the very first CRM podcast. But um, kind of what happens is uh, that, okay, Marcus did this thing. And, and it, again, I give him all the credit for being the first real CRM podcaster, but nothing against his show, but it wasn't the format I enjoyed to listen to. And um, I started listening to podcasts early on, uh, like Leo Laporte's Twit podcast and stuff. And, you know, what I wanted to listen to was Twit for CRM. And that's really kind of what inspired me to do more of a format that had, you know, multiple people. Then, you know, you started, you joined the network and Gus Gonzalez, I'm sure, you know, there's, there's a healthy competition with MVPs too. And we all think I could do a better job than that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh together we all we all add our voice and I think it's I think it's great. But kind of back going back to twenty fifteen when I started CRM audio with George and Sean, there there was not a lot of uh CRM podcasts. Matter of fact, around that time, this is back when the Zoom was still a thing and the Zoom community guy was emailing us begging somebody in the CRM world to create podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> saying we'll promote it and everything, you know, so that's kind of where that grew from. And 
uh, you know, we didn't know what we were doing, uh, you know, started with very cheap microphones and just kind of shows you don't have to start. The tools are less important than the content. The tools and the sound quality are important, but they're not the most important thing. Yeah, so true, so true. And and it's an interesting journey. So how many years ago did you did you kick off Serum Audio? Uh, it was early 2015. So uh, our very first episode was all about the OneNote integration in Serum 2015, which is a terrible feature. I've never seen anybody really use it. It was, but it was... Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really fly, does it? No, no, but it it was it was fun, and uh, I you can still hear the first episode if you go to our blog. I've it's not in the feed anymore, but um, it's interesting. Every every month that episode still gets fifty plus <laughs> listeners, and I, I hate that because it's the content is no value to anybody anymore. The sound quality and and what we do is <laughs> terrible, but you know I. I it was a learning experience. And so I'm not embarrassed of it. It's just, you know, it's not what I would like to listen to. <laughs> so, so things have traveled kind of, uh, you know, full circle. You, you've said last week, what are the changes happening with CRM audio? What's your okay, plan so, going forward? So with CRM audio, I, okay. I've had several things I've kind of stumbled into. I never had a plan um, other than, Hey, let's do a podcast. Uh, then, you know, talking to Daniel Kai at Kingsway Soft, you know, he said he'd like to sponsor it. And then uh, I was talking to um, to Scott Sewell and I said he was he was transitioning from CRM to Power BI at that time. He's kind of come back full circle now, but he was he was becoming Mr. Power BI. And I said, hey, we should do a, a little segment that is Power BI related. And that turned into what's now Power BI and more. Then you contacted me, Neil Benson contacted me, and it, it kind of opened the floodgates to every MVP in the world. It seemed like contacting and say, "Hey, we'd like to do a podcast." And uh, you know what I what uh, you know I found I've I found through my journey as an MVP. Originally, I thought we have to we're we're all kind of like independent businesses competing with each other, and I learned that that's not the case. That you can you can do more together through the synergy and can, can get a bigger audience, build more eyeballs and ear ears, which is, you know, what we all want to do. So through that, it just kind of grew. And, and, but over time, you know, what I found was it became a little too consuming. It became almost like a second job and something that I've become, I became very, very good at. And I can very quickly edit a podcast and I've created systems where I got my intro and outro music queued up, ready to go. And, you know, kind of a template in my editing software, but it just, it just became, you know, too much. And when we transitioned about, uh, I guess it's a, a year ago, maybe a little bit more to separate series, uh, kind of separate feeds with a master feed. One of the reasons was because as you know, the baby birds got big enough and strong enough to take off on their own. You and you and Neil both decided you wanted to go a little different direction. It was really complicated to untangle the knot, if you will, you know, because it was all one big feed. But now it's very easy to say, keep that feed. They're subscribers. You know, they own it. I was always clear. I don't want to own these other series. 
And so uh, people like the XRM Toolcast and uh, and the Power Platform people and all those will continue. And if you subscribe to them, nothing changes. And CRM Audio will still be there, but it's not going to be multiple episodes per week. That's just that's just too too much. And it's kind of made me I've had to rethink why am I doing this? And the reason why I do it is I enjoy I enjoy doing it. And if it gets to be too much then I'm not enjoying it so much and also don't have the time to explore other things. There's other things that I would like to be doing as contributions, but if you got to feed the beast to keep all these series going, uh, it's, it becomes very, very consuming. So for my own sanity's sake and really, you know, to help these other, other hosts help their series be everything they can be, uh, if they want to continue them, uh, you know, kind of going back to the basics of where we were 2015, 2016. It'd be interesting to see, you know, um, uh, how how those other shows, you know, continue to uh, evolve in the coming weeks and months. But that's interesting. You talk about contributions. And, and when I look at, you know, a short list of accolades here, and of course, it's not a short list. You're 12 times a business application MVP. You're a CRM UG All-Star. You, the creator of the Serum Audio podcast, I know you're prolific on tip of the day. Uh, you focus on the Power Platform, Business Applications, Dynamics 365, Flow, Dynamics CRM. And you're, you're pretty full on in the community. How do you maintain that? I know you've got two children, wife. How do you maintain, you know, balance and as well as, as, well as freshness? Maintaining balance. I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about this because – I if I wrote my autobiography now it would be called my sleep deprived decade <laughs> because you know frankly I've been pushing myself way too way too hard you know trading my time and health for you know to just do everything and say yes to everything so I've I've learned and you've know, been reinforced uh lately that uh you know I I wasn't in balance and that does pay short-term dividends. I mean, you can if you trade your sleep for blogging and uh, you know preparing for sessions at, at, and, and editing podcasts. You know, you start to believe like you're Superman, and you're not. You're not a robot. You're not Superman. But uh, I would say what I have found is I find ways to make it part of my everyday life. In other words, I'm not setting off to say I'm going to blog now, so I need to come up with a topic. My blog posts, like tips of the day, is is great because I come across things as I do my job. I mean, I've I've built over seven seventeen thousand hours on Dynamics projects, which you know when when somebody gave me that 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 total, you know, two weeks ago, it's like. And it's like over 250 projects. So through that, you come, you make a lot of mistakes, and you come up with, you know, problems people are having. And I tell people, um, and again, I've been the accidental mentor and helped 12 people become MVPs. Um, and what I tell them is, you know, make it something you can do as part of your schedule. If you check your sent emails, if you're working on real projects or working in a company where you've got other people and you're you are an architect or a developer, you'll have people asking these questions. You have material there that is kind of on mind blog posts. And so every tip of the day I have is either like a mistake I've made or a, a question that's come up. And I regularly have it 
have the situation where I have a problem. I, I Google it and I find I wrote a tip of the day three years ago about it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's crazy. I'm going to, I'd like to drill into the mentoring piece in a moment, but what jumps into my mind is that, you know, I read a lot of books and it's a habit that I've really developed last year and been able to carry it through to this year. And, and I think I read a lot of books. I'm, I think I'm closing on 60 at the moment for the year. But when I look at you, you read a phenomenal lot of books. What, what's up with that? What Have you always been a prolific reader? Um, and how, I think and, it was and, five years ago I read a stat. There's a, I think it's a U.S. government statistic that 75% or more of adults don't read a book in a year and more than half of the people in America have never read a book at all since college. And that just blew my mind. And also, you know, earlier in my career, a lot of this was driven by being paranoid. So um, my background was I was in sales. I was an inside sales person working at data stream, which was the company that Scott Millwood was at before he found a customer effective. And then uh, I got sick of sitting in a room with no windows calling people uh, about uh, uh, about maintenance software. <laughs> and so um, Scott and Michael had started Customer Effective in the early 2000s, and this was 2007. I interviewed them. I thought I was going to be in sales because I was a sales guy for 10 years. And they said, Joel, you need to be in professional services. And I never had an IT job at all. And I'd have wanted to, but I just didn't have the credentials or the experience in there. And frankly, I was scared when I saw people like Scott Sewell, who had been doing that for 10 years. And, you know, I thought there's no way I can do what they do. And so, you know, I just dug in and, and wanted, and wanted to learn. And uh, within a year I was an MVP. So from that, I've, I've had the desire to be uh, what's called an autodidact, um, which is a lifelong learner. And so it's not that I'm trying to you know, set any records. Last year, I went a little bit overboard, but I traveled a lot. So I read on planes and listened to audiobooks and things like that. But it's more just, you know, being curious, wanting to be able to add to the conversation. You know, I felt when I was younger, like, I'm not a very interesting person. I, I don't have much to add to this conversation, but it's realizing that, uh, as you as you learn, it opens up. You, it's like you you learn what you don't know, and it, it's humbling because you realize like, and read books that stretch yourself. I read uh, I read Homer's uh, Odyssey last year. I never read it before. It was a great translation, and just opened my eyes uh, to all this all this stuff. I read a book. I can't remember the name of it, but it was about um, kind of Arabic legends and epics and things like that. And, and those kind of things, I kind of got stuck in the reading the business books, which the business books are good. But what I realized, if you read good to great, made to stick, all these books, they all tell the same stories. And I, it, I got fed up reading the story of Michael Phelps playing the video back in his head, you know, or Southwest Airlines case studies and things like that. Because I think there's a box somewhere of business stories that every author, you know, gets them out and tells the same stories and it's just very repetitive. So I intentionally set out the goal to broaden the types of books I'm I'm reading. So I'm, I'm not just read books about 
business, but also history and nonfiction books too. And just see the, see the great books lists and have you read them? And what are the ones you haven't read? And what are the books that hold up over time? Because I also discovered um, that I was reading the new stuff, but there's a great wealth of things that were written 10 plus years ago. And if you read older books, my library has, you know, free audiobooks and ebooks that I can get without without spending a ton of money on them too. Wow. So you're up to 77 books so far this year. You got a goal of 100? Yeah, I'm not going to I likely will not make my goal this year because that would require about two and a half books per week, but you never know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just it's, finished another one this morning that I didn't put on there. Mm-hmm. It's interesting is that, you know, I find the same thing is that um, I'm starting to diversify because I've read a lot of business books and I still do read business books, but I've got read a lot more um, biographies this year. Um, finished Churchill's recently, which was a phenomenal, took a month to read the one book. It's that large. And, um, but man, it just gave me so much perspective about the world that we live in now. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've come to realize that a lot of the books that I find really memorable are quite tragic. So, um, Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago, for example, or reading books about North Korea or, um, the aftermath of the Vietnam War and things like that, you know, really put perspective and, uh, but then good, really good fiction as well. I find almost more valuable for managing a team and empathizing with people than the, some management and business books, because they make you think about what motivates people. And, and if it's, if it's fiction, that's really well written, it gets the human condition, right. And, makes i think it improves your empathy so true so true let's let's round back to the mentoring side of things um did you say eight mvps you've mentored that have come through another thing i've heard is that is 12 wow another one i've heard that you you often when an mvp joins uh the program you're one of the key people that come alongside them and and even mentor their first period of time inside the program what what have you what are you looking for in a a mentee someone that you believe could grow into becoming a MVP? Okay, so let me tell you how it started. So I was awarded July two thousand and eight, and so at that was time that, was that before Scott or after Scott Sewell? That was before Scott Sewell. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think the only MVPs that are still MVPs that were MVPs longer than me are Matt Whitteman and Larry Lentz. If I, if I, if I, I might be missing one, but I believe that's it. So um, when I became an MVP and what a lot of people don't know now is early in the two thousands, I think it was 99 or 2000 Microsoft canceled the MVP program. They didn't see value in it, but Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates got a huge outpouring of you know people upset about that, so they they brought it back. And then mid two thousands, they were really putting the steam on it and really kind of emphasizing. But at that time, almost all the MVPs were developers. Um, so the year I got awarded, George Sabinski got awarded, but you got Jurgen Beck, you had um, Michael Hone of Stunware, you had you know. You had Aaron Elder, the inventor of CRM. Was yeah. he an MVP? 
Yes, he was an MVP. You're kidding me. You he know, I just, I, I just interviewed him the other day. I, I believe Jim Steger may have been awarded the year I, I was awarded. But yeah, yeah, Aaron was Aaron's, Aaron was big time MVP. And so I, I look around this room and it's all these Avanade developers. And, you know, I called Scott Sewell from MVP Summit 2009 and said, Scott, you need to do this so I'm not the only customer effective person here next year. And I kind of laid out, yeah, I was, it was in, in Avanta or wherever we were in the, in the, in the lobby. I literally called him from here and said, you know, here's what I did, laid out the plan, contributions over time and reach. And a year later, he was at MVP Summit. And so that was kind of like the first one, but then it kind of snowballed and it wasn't really an intentional plan. It was people coming to me and saying, I want to be an MVP. And, um, you know, so again, I don't, I don't take credit for them being MVP because I think the cream rises to the top, but what I, what I hopefully helped them do was focus their activities and, you know, do start contributing consistently in a way that then um, then could nominate. So I've gotten pretty good at knowing when people are, are ready and, you know, be able to nominate them. And a few years later, you know, my, when we were doing our annual goals, um, I, one of them I put was I'm going to get at least one more Hitachi MVP at that time we were Hitachi. And my boss said, well, I don't know if we can put that in there because that's, <laughs> we didn't, can't really have any control of that, but, I got, you know, two or three more that year. So, mm-hmm. so, so wh- what is that trigger point that you're, you think they're ready for nomination? Um, it's, it's hard for me to put that into words, but I think it's when they are, when they are engaged in the community, not just for, you know, like self-promotion, but really part of the community and are doing it at a consistent basis, but part of its quantity. I just, I have them put their, put their contributions in a spreadsheet and I can look at it and you say, yeah, that's above average. If you're doing just the, if you're doing even, you know, two posts a week um, and that's it, you're not ready. But if, if I see a variety of contributions and can see people doing it on a consistent basis and doing it for eight, nine months, um, then they're probably ready. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, when you look for variety, what are you looking for? Um, just more than one thing. Speaking at conferences, writing blog posts, doing 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 podcasts. But, you know, is your contribution adding something is it different than what everybody else is doing? Uh, are you, are you not just saying, Hey, here's this new shiny stuff, but answering the question, here's why, here's why it matters. But I've also, uh, and again, this isn't, this isn't, you know, c- casting dispersions to anybody, but I've had some times where I've pushed somebody and they've either become close to becoming an MVP or been awarded and then the contribution drops off. They don't really get engaged with the MVPs. You know, nobody really hears from them. Then I kind of, you know, kind of regret it. So I've, I've kind of taken a step back and saying, I, I, I want to make sure they're really committed and really want to want to don't just want the title. They want to be part of the community. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I like this. I like this as some great, great insights. Where do you think you'll be in the next three to five years? Um, well, I am kind of unique in that a lot of the MVPs, it seems now are going independent. Um, and I, I get that. Um, 
I uh, I was told by a recruiter one time we don't even call you Joel because we know you're you're like an institution at Itachi, um, and you know what I would say is uh, I I get why people go independent, but I also get why it's not a good fit for me. Um, part of that is you know personal because you know my wife is a triple transplant survivor. She had a heart, liver, and kidney transplant in 2012, and as a result, um, I need the stability more so. And, uh, you know, I, I can, you know, thank God it hasn't happened recently, but I can have to take her to the hospital for weeks at a time sometimes. And, uh, so as a result of that, having a supportive company like Hitachi, um, is, is great for my situation. I get, I get, if, if, if you don't have those concerns, then it's a little bit different. Um, but also, um, we have, you know, had great, uh, put it this way. Um, Hitachi has been super supportive and I don't know any other practice right now that supports their MVPs better than Hitachi does. Um, and there's a reason for that. You know, a lot of it is when I first was awarded, we were customer effective and much smaller, but, um, you know, Hitachi has learned that there's a benefit from doing that. And, um, that's why we currently have more business applications MVP than any other, other partner. Yeah, yeah. So, give us an example of how they support. Well, part of this is is again kind of by design because my management, you know, I worked with them to actually create a charter for the Hitachi MVP group and saying these are the value that Hitachi gets. You know, a partner, and what I think a lot of partners and including we did years ago miss is. They think a large partner thinks, oh, we got deep. We could pick up the call and get Alyssa on the phone right away. They probably could. But there's the whole side of the product team that they generally don't. Going to partner partner group or partner conferences, whatever they call that conference now, you know, you get the business and sales and marketing side. You don't get James Phillips and the product team. And having that input and having it when you get stuck on a product project and having MVPs who could reach out to the product team and escalate support tickets, there's a huge value to that. There's also a value in finding out what's coming so our team is prepared for it. And, you know, I look at some of the partners, I'm not going to name specific names, but that in years past, User Group Summit would have, you know, a ton of MVPs and architects there leading sessions. And now they're, they're just marketing people there. And I think that's just misguided. And not to mention that, but, you know, when you speak at conferences like Microsoft Ignite, which is like a $2,300 conference, if you have people who are MVPs in your team who are speaking there, uh, you get much more for your marketing buck because Microsoft pays for their travel, pays for their hotels, you know, pays for the conference. And, uh, you know, it just has an amplifying effect. Way back in 2008, Customer Effective, we didn't have a blog. And there was a genuine concern that if we started a blog that we would, you know, our partners, that w- our competitors would steal our ideas and our, our, our smart stuff. But um, they realized before long that, it's much more effective to have people on your team creating content that um, content, it goes farther than paying a bunch of money for search engine optimization because people search for problems they're having. Yep. 100%. 100%. So you're an advocate of, of all staff in the business kind of blogging? 
Yeah, I do. And I, I listened to the podcast that uh, I believe you and you and um, George were on one of Gus's podcasts talking about ownership of, of material. And I, I totally agree with that. Um, but if you work within your company, you can set it up so that you don't give that up. You know, we intentionally don't have a made up character that, you know, all the blog posts go through. Um, everything I post on the Hitachi blog, first of all, we use medium now, which is linked to me. So arguably that content stays with me, but then also, um, you know, we put the person's name. So that counts as an MVP contributions. And so I, I have a team of people that report to me. And one of the things I put on their annual goals was building your brand, uh, you know, both internally, because in a larger company, people need to know who you are and what you're good at, but also externally leading webinars, you know, speaking UG, those types of things. Because what I found is, and this is another thing that I think people, other, you know, other partners and even customer effective early on felt, oh, if people are going to the user group meeting and speaking, that's taking away billable time. But what you don't realize is the people who, and I can prove this through numbers, <laughs> utilization numbers on my team, the people who are doing that are the highest utilized people because they know the most, they're the most up to date. They're also, people know who they are, so they request them on their projects. Mm, wow. We could talk for ages, Joel, as you've got so many insights, but our time is up, 30-minute show and all. Um, but are you ready for some uh, quick-fire questions? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. What was the first music you brought? I am the world's biggest Johnny Cash fan. Oh, man. I grew up on a farm, and um, I had uh, – and uh, Johnny Cash, what, I've, what I appreciated about him was – he seemed like a normal guy, but he also, you learn his story. He's, he just exemplified grit. And so I have every Johnny Cash album ever recorded, many of them in vinyl, including one that's extremely rare. That was only like a hundred copies made that was sold in his son's school. It's a terrible because it has the, the, he's singing with the kids choir and nothing sounds worse than the sound of other people's kids singing. I mean, I hate to break it to you. Everybody going to kids programs, if it's your kid, it's awesome. But there's nothing worse to me than the sound of other people's children singing. But again, I'm a completist, so I had to have it. So, uh, yeah. So the first the first I ever bought was uh, either Johnny Cash or Weird Al Yankovic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. What is it? What, what's your best Cash album? Ah, uh, that is a hard question to to. There's there's Okay, there are three different Johnny Cashes if you break it down. Um, there's the Sun Records era, and there is the you know mainstream pop country Johnny Cash, which ran from Folsom Prison to uh, late late '90s, and then or or I guess it was late '80s '89, and then he became out of favor. And then you have the Rick Rubin American albums, so. I would have to pick one from each of each of those, um, you know, kind of kind of one of the one of the ones I like a lot is Everybody Loves a Nut because the cover album is drawn by one of the Mad Magazine artists and it has the great song I'm Being Swallowed by a Boa Constrictor. And on the album, it has him being swallowed by a Boa Constrictor. <laughs> I like for me, it was the material after his wife died. 
Yeah, no, that definitely it, that it, it's, it's totally a different. Uh, I I have a whole not just Johnny Cash, but um, I have a whole genre of old guy about to die albums, which sounds morbid, but um, <laughs> albums that are recorded not for commercial purposes, but because they are you know kind of a, a, an act of love, and then and there's a whole there's a whole category of that. Mm, 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 mm. Wow, that was uh, the longest answer to one of those questions, but it was very good. Um, if you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Uh, I have been told that if I was a uh, superhero, my name would be the Summarizer. <laughs> because <laughs> because I will take these like really long conversations and like break it down. Or like if somebody asks me directions, I give them like the 30-second answer. And you talk to my wife, she gives like the long drawn out, go down the road about two miles and you'll see a, you'll see a barn, go a few more feet, take a right. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the summarizer. <laughs> How do you get in the way of your own success? I shortchange uh, important things for short term stuff, you know, so I will agree to. Uh, I'll give you an example recently. Uh, so I, I, I agree. I signed up for Power Platform 24, not just not just speaking at it, but also kind of organizing it. Um, Ignite, UG Summit, and one other thing, all that fell within like four or five weeks of each other. And that's, that's crazy to do. <laughs> and I, I say that's crazy to do, and I, re- you know, I don't regret it. Um, but in, in hindsight, it's, it's made the last month more stressful than it would have had to be. And so I've had to push myself to make a point to work out every morning, you know, because I would literally get out of bed, get on the computer and either work or edit a podcast. And then before bed, either work or edit a podcast. It's just not healthy. No, no. What's your favorite family tradition? Um, favorite family tradition is, uh, just a number of things. Uh, my family, uh, has been able to, especially during the summer when kids are out of school, travel with me. And one thing is that I, I don't know if I'd call this a tradition, but, a, but two years ago we were thinking about what should we do for vacation? Um, I think this was after I read the four hour work week, which I, I don't really like, but I think it kind of inspired me to say, Hey, with my job, I could really work from wherever as long as I have an internet connection and I can get to an airport when I need to fly to a customer. So, uh, we rented, looked at going to Seattle, but you looked at, if we rent an Airbnb for a month, it's not much more expensive than renting it for a week. And so, uh, we just lived in Seattle for, for a month. I don't, I don't know that I could move to Seattle permanently, but it was kind of fun to like live like a local, have time to explore, not just the tourist stuff, but the, you know, Seattle has awesome parks. You could go to a park every day of the month and still not see them all. And they're right on Puget Sound and, you know, beautiful, beautiful. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed that. Uh, didn't enjoy the traffic so much, but that was, that's something that I, I want to continue of, you know, just finding places and not necessarily going and being a tourist, but going, uh, I'd love to go to your part of the part of the world, you go to Australia, New Zealand, and have been able to do that. One of that reason is when, uh, transplant patients, at least in the U S are discouraged from traveling internationally for seven years. My wife just traveled across the seven year mark. So hopefully we'll be able to do some international travel during, uh, during my kids summer vacation. 
Good, man. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, two weeks away from going home. So uh, I'll definitely show you around uh, if you come down there. So what's the best hotel you've ever stayed in and why? Uh, best hotel by far <laughs> was my room at uh, UG Summit 2017. So what they didn't tell me was when you win the All-Star Award. So for those of you like Nick Dolman who won it this year, you got to go to MV, to to UG Summit next year because they give you the presidential suite. This room <gasps> was bigger than some of the conference rooms at the conference. It had a conference table in it. It was, I think, actually two rooms put together, but it was like it was huge. The worst hotel I've been at was the one in Reno for UG Focus. This thing had. <sighs> This had Donald Trump gold frames around the TV. It had a leaky hot tub right by the bed. And I swear I thought about, you know, like filling up the hot tub and like diving off the bed because you could you could totally hit it. Mm, mm, mm. Mate, that's amazing. That's amazing. I like I didn't know that about the All Star. That's that's phenomenal. We know they didn't we tell partying. me that, and yeah, you know, yeah. Tony Stein just kind of surprised me. And I, I checked in, and like I go to my room, and like, there's got to be something wrong here. This can't be a room this much. I I felt like it was one of the one of the session rooms. It was so big, it was it was kind of disorienting. I took a picture. I had I took a picture. I put my my phone on timer and like put it way across the room and like ran across the room and sat in the chair. And it was like, I was way off there. It was awesome. Wow. Amazing. Last question. Would you rather watch a movie at home or at the movie theater? Uh, it depends. I would rather, I would rather watch a movie with, uh, with friends or someone, I, someone I like, because I've, I've realized you in this modern world of Netflix and streaming entertainment and TV has become a very isolating experience. And for me, I just don't enjoy watching TV or movies by myself. I'd rather read a book or something. But if I have, a, you know, family, my son, my wife, or or a good friend with me, um, you know, either in the movie theater it depends on what movie what movie it is. But um, but yeah, that's that's what I would doesn't really matter. Just I don't like to watch a movie unless I'm on a plane or something. I'm not big on watching things just by myself. Joel, it's been fantastic to have you on the show if people want to connect with you online give us all those deets uh i'll give you a number of them linkedin is fine uh twitter i just use my name joel lindstrom i don't have a fancy acronym like you do um i am also uh, i'm not on facebook but i am uh cm tip of the day crm crm audio and we we welcome people to send tips of the day to us that's one of the things that if you are interested in contributing but don't want to start your blog or don't feel like you have enough content, send your short posts to jar at cmtipoftheday.com and we'll, we'll link to your blog or your LinkedIn or whatever and some of the best tips come from that. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the social media button, share this content with your friends, family, spouse, anybody you want. I hope your family and spouse are the same person. But anyhow, if they're not, share away people. Full show notes can be found at nz365guide.com forward slash 155. See you same time next week.